0: really excited it's happening I've got all the details for our in-person event for you if you've listened to our last week's podcast episode then you know when I said I was really busy trying to plan and pull off this event and it's now happening it's the 25th of September we've got the Citizen M Hotel rooftop bar booked for all of us and I've invited an incredible panel of experts So I really hope that some of you can make it so that I can give you a big old squash and squeeze. The event is a celebration of everything that has happened so far at Menopause and Cancer. We've secured our first bit of funding for workshops in the autumn, which we're so excited about. And we're also looking forward to all the amazing things we're going to do together. But nothing ever happens just in isolation. I really believe that I want to bring together this community of experts with a group of women, and that is you. And that's exactly what we're going to do at this event. I've got Dr. Alison Macbeth coming down from Scotland. She heads a super busy breast speciality clinic in Scotland, and she's coming down to be a guest on the panel. I've got Miss Talaulika sitting alongside of Alison, who is the Associate Professor at UCLH London. We've got Melinda McDougall joining the conversation. She's a herbal medicalist with extensive menopause and cancer experience. We've got an amazing team at Myla Health joining us, Dr. Zoe Shadell, and hopefully Dr. Lindsay Thomas as well. And I really want this to be a holistic, all-encompassing conversation. And I want you to have a possibility to ask your questions to these amazing experts. We'll have lots of time for Q&As. We'll have mocktails, I like Danny. We'll mix and mingle, put your sparkly dresses and clothes on It's going to be a celebration, but I really want it to be informative as well. And I hope a lot of you can make it. I'll link the events into the show notes. But I also want to share two other really amazing things with you. And the one is that today on the podcast, I've got a whole group of women, and that is a whole group of all of you listening at home. These women have been listening to our podcast for a long time. They've then decided to join me for my menopause, empowered menopause and cancer programme. They're the current group of ladies on the programme and they've decided to be brave enough to come onto the podcast, which I think is amazing. And I really want to highlight and show how different our conversations and stories are. And that is why no approach or no one solution will ever suit all of us. We've got Terry, who's over 10 years on, and she's now going through perimenopause naturally. And we want to explore the difficulty around that. What happens if you have to stop your HRT because you've been diagnosed with cancer? And there is a real feeling of bereft, and we'll talk about that. Some people are so incredible, like the amazing Anya, who came to her first class with me at the studio the week she had her first ovarian suppression medication. Anya really wants to empower herself with everything she can do when HRT isn't an option. I want to hear from Anya. Rachel on the podcast today wanted to get really, really involved. And she's now a director of our community interest company. Isn't that amazing? I want to show you what happened for Rachel and what her thought processes were there. If your brain fog is really stopping you in your tracks, maybe you've had to stop work. Maybe you couldn't do and finish your studies, whatever it is. Joy, we'll talk about that, and Helen on the podcast today. Joy was on a placement for her teacher training, and she had to stop it. But we really want to rephrase that. Joy wasn't failing at this at all. Joy was responding naturally to the situation she was in. Let's talk about that. I find it really fascinating and important. Helen is a super clever lady, researches the heck out of everything, had a spur of going on HRT after estrogen-driven breast cancer, stopped it, we'll talk about those reasons, and is now exploring what her next treatment options can be. And then Lucy, who reconnected with me after two whole years, and she really needed a break of managing and trying to find solutions to this menopause malarkey. And that's normal. We're here. This is a process. And I don't want anyone of you of you at home thinking there are quick fixes out there, I'm sorry, <laughs> to burst your bubble or to think that you're going to dust it in a few months. This is a real process. Our symptoms will vary and change. And you change as a person. And so whatever you want to do about managing your menopause is also going to change. And Lucy speaks so eloquently about all of that. And so if you at the moment are feeling, I need more support than the podcast. I need more support. I've been to some of Danny's workshops. I would love to be in a group like these amazing women. Then you can now join our next Empowered Menopause Program. We're opening the doors. The program starts in September. If you have questions, you can email me to danny at healthyhomeme.com. I curated the program because I knew there was nothing else out there. And I really wanted a bit of hand-holding when I was going through it myself, but there was nothing out there. And so the program is really a four-month process where you can really get into the nitty-gritty of what you might have to do to achieve the goals that you're setting out to do. And whether that is finding solutions to your physical symptoms or trying to figure out what the heck to do with the next chapter in your life then the program can be really helpful. But I don't want to talk much more about these amazing women. I want to bring them in and I really hope that today, sitting at home or walking or washing the dishes, whatever you do, you resonate with many of their stories. And can I just say, they're all amazing. They're absolutely amazing women. And I feel so honoured and really moved when I get to meet you, when I met Terry, and Annie, Rachel, Joy, Helen and Lucy. So let's welcome them in. What a lovely morning to spend my Saturday morning with you all. Welcome. Welcome to these super women who decided to join me on a podcast today and welcome everyone at home who tunes into the Menopause and Cancer podcast today. I'm joined by Anne, Rachel, Anya, Helen, Terry, Lucy and Joy. And together we're going to explore our current challenges Maybe some solutions that we found along the way, but mainly we're just going to talk about how difficult it is to manage these muddy waters of menopause and that we can't always have it all figured out. And so I'm going to introduce these amazing ladies to you.
1: And Anne,
0: good morning. How are you today? Good morning.
1: Good, thank you. So I'm Anne. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 57, which was January of this year. It was a small breast cancer. It was caught early, so I was very, very lucky. Um, it was an eight millimeter infiltrating lobular cancer. I had no lymph nodes involved, so went through a lumpectomy and then radiotherapy. And I'm six weeks into taking anastrozole, and I have calcium supplements and about to start bisphosphonates um, as I have osteopenia due to uh, having celiac disease, and I joined this group just to find people that's going through the same issues as me trying to understand what I've been through and what's to come next because I now feel that the surgery was the the easy bit and Mm -hmm. the radiotherapy was hard and now being on hormonal therapy is really hard but I also feel very lucky that i haven't had to have chemotherapy that i haven't lost my breast but i'm mourning the fact that i can't take hrt and i'm finding that really difficult
0: so much to unpack and explore and we'll get into
2: all of that in
3: the conversation thank you Anne. morning terry good morning yeah i'm terry i was diagnosed with breast cancer when i was 30 which is actually 14 years ago next month. So I had quite an aggressive cancer. I luckily found it quite early. It was um, stage one, but grade three. I had a lumpectomy and a sentinel node biopsy and luckily it hadn't spread, but it was estrogen sensitive and um, I ended up having chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and uh, five years of tamoxifen, including, I think, about two to two and a half years of Zolodex included in that. Um, so I finished all of my treatment back in about 2015. And during the time that I was on the hormone treatment, I went into menopause. <clears throat> I don't think I really realized about it at the time, to be honest. Definitely had hot flushes and stuff. And I remember somebody saying to me at some point, yeah, you're in menopause, but it that was it. There was literally no other conversation. But when I came off the treatment, my periods returned and I sort of went back to some sort of normal. And then in the more recent past in about about a year ago or so, I started experiencing what I'd say is more um, perimenopausal symptoms and mostly sort of mental health ones really, rather than hot sweats and stuff. And then I started exploring that and um, found a podcast, found another podcast, found you Found this group and just kind of feel that I'm in a bit of a black hole at the moment, not really knowing where to go, what to do, what's best, who to speak to,
4: a bit lost. So
0: and so amazing, isn't it, Terry? To think that you're so many years on and you're probably going to through perimenopause naturally now, and in all the conversations we've had, is no one is really taking ownership, and there is no one in your medical team can help and Also, what a contrast to Anne, who's only just gone through her treatment this year. So if anyone at home is in the early days, like Anne, in the maybe first year post-diagnosis, we're going to have really different questions, I suppose, to someone who's 14 years on, or like me, 10 years on. And you might be going through it naturally. Thank you for sharing, um, Terry. Good morning, Rachel. Where are you actually zooming in from today? Where Where are
4: you in the country? I am zooming in from the very lovely Brighton and Hove. It's not as sunny as I'd like today, but it, I'm sure it'll come soon. Um, so, yeah. Hi, I'm Rachel. I was diagnosed with breast cancer last September. I was 46. Um, actually, a year ago today is when I found my lump. And actually, I do think that... Um, in hindsight, there were some other things that were going on at the time that I think like change in size and shape that I probably hadn't associated with breast cancer. So yeah, it's just it's quite um quite interesting. I'm starting to, to analyze some of the, the things that have happened. Um, so yeah, I was diagnosed with stage one, grade two ductal carcinoma, invasive ductal carcinoma. I had two areas of of breast cancer so I had to have a mastectomy which I had last October. Um, I was sort of led to believe initially that I would probably just need surgery and, and hormone treatment but I was offered a test called an oncotype test because of my age and the type of cancer I had and the fact that I had no lymph node um, involvement and that test measured the risk of recurrence and The it came back with a medium high risk. So, the safest option for me was to have a short and relatively mild that's what it was described to me as course of chemotherapy, which I completed in mid March. So, I'm four months post active treatment. I was originally prescribed Solidex and Tamoxifen. Um, I had a meeting with my oncologist this week and I'm now n- no longer being prescribed Solidex. So I will continue on Tamoxifen for the next five to 10 years. During one of those appointments around kind of treatment and long term plans, I obviously um, was very aware that I would no longer be able to take HRT. I had been taking it for perimenopausal symptoms. Um, so, my as the risk of cancer seemed to get smaller, obviously it's always there. I just thought about my long-term health and the impact of menopause. And I asked my medical team for some information around how I deal with those symptoms. And I was faced with, just take a supplement, just take some supplements. And for me, that felt like too dismissive a response. And so I had been listening to Danny's podcast and I'd, and I'd seen a post on her Facebook group and I decided to reach out to her to see how I could support The the organisation that Danny set up called Menopause and Cancer, um, because I feel really, really, really passionately about the fact that um, there are a number of women that are thrown into this situation through no fault of their own. And actually, um, menopause treatment is hard anyway. It's hard if you don't have the complications of cancer. But when you've got cancer in the mix, it's near on impossible to get the integrated help that you need through the NHS but and, and and in general you have to go and seek um professionals that can help you collectively
0: thank you Rachel well Rachel and I then walked and talked I walked and half and puffed and told <laughs> Rachel everything that I was doing and all the plans I had and that I needed help and then before she knew it Rachel became a director of our <laughs> community interest company so don't reach out to me unless you want a job it's anyone at home thank you Rachel and also a year from when you found your lump that's big i remember so clearly when i found my lump and i remember where i sat who i sat i didn't say anything i remember it so clearly i won't it's yeah. one of those memories that is really really present and it's a biggie and it comes with that not in my tummy immediately it's not just in my brain it's a real physical physical response thank you rachel Hello, Anya. I remember Anya walking into our yoga studio on a Friday morning. I think you had no hair, um, but a big smile on your face. And I thought, wow, she's lovely. What happened?
2: Um, Yeah, I think I still had my little chemo hat on at that time. I wasn't quite brave enough. But yeah, you were. I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do when I was through my active treatment. Um, because I've been told about you and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to come and join your classes when I was free my active treatment. So that was me that day. But um, yes, so my name's Anya. Um, I was diagnosed in May 2022 very, um, very unexpectedly. I had no symptoms. I hadn't found a lump. Um, I wanted to go for a health check. I was 44 at the time. I was very aware that my grandmother had died from breast cancer at the age of 44. So I thought I should go and have a check. And to my absolute horror, they found um, cancer straight away, really. Um, So it was a huge, huge shock. Just remember the day so vividly tilling work. I was going to be back that afternoon. And of course, one hour turned into another hour. And before we knew it, I was just in the system. So very much like Rachel, I was um, diagnosed with a very hormone sensitive uh, breast cancer. I had two small lumps. Uh, but a very large area of calcification, so there was no um, discussion at all I needed a mastectomy. Um, So I had that done, and before my surgery, we didn't know that there was going to be anything in my node, but they did find five millimetres of cancer in my my node um, after my mastectomy and my DF flap reconstruction, which, which I had done at the same time. So that then led on to another wait, and like Rachel, my oncotype results were a little bit higher than they would have wanted to so I was offered chemo which of course I took um, and I had 16 weeks of chemo I was on a dose dense therapy so I was in every two weeks quite strong chemotherapy um, EC and then um, another one called Taxol I think um, so got through that lost all my hair and then around Christmas finished chemo and started radiotherapy, which I had for three weeks. And very soon after that, which I think was around about the time I came to you, uh, I had my first Zolidex injection and I then started Letrosol. So that's where I'm at at the moment, but my periods already stopped after my second chemotherapy. So I think before I started Letrosol, I had already started experiencing uh, menopause symptoms So that felt like the toughest time, I think, because I was both going through chemotherapy, but also suddenly thrown into this absolute nightmare of what's happening to me. Um, Just didn't recognise myself at all. So I think when Letrasil came, I was scared of taking it. But I think for me, in a way, the worst had happened already. So although I'm on it now and I'm, I'm functioning on it, there are definitely some things that are hard to deal with. But, you know, I feel very supported by my breast care nurse still and my oncologist they don't always agree with what I want to take (laughs) but I do feel supported but it's absolutely still a minefield I think for myself and the many women out there and I yeah Yeah. that's why I think you know I I look for this group and I'm just thrilled and delighted to be with these ladies because it's just wonderful to be able to talk to others about what you're going through because not everybody understands do they when they mm, haven't
0: got absolutely visit. so yeah so and, and for anyone at home listening who's also really sat with that terror and surprise of having been diagnosed with cancer because you never think it's going to be you do you you never think it's going to be you no. even if it's around you even if it's in your family even even if you might be worried about it, just can't believe it's going to be you and so we unroll so many things in our conversations don't we with it's so much to unpack that I think also muddles its way into how we manage menopause now. You can't isolate it. It's, it's no point in, in treating all of our menopausal symptoms because there is so much else that has happened. We're all these three-dimensional human beings, aren't we? And we have so much to unpack.
2: I think you're just thrown into a parallel universe, you know, straight away, aren't you? Um,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a lot to take in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing, Anya. Good morning, Helen. Lovely to see you.
5: Hi, Danny. Delighted to be here. Um, So I'm Helen. I was diagnosed in May 2020. And if we cast our minds back, that was just as COVID was um, hitting hitting large in the country. I was 43 years old, didn't have any uh, risk profile really for it, Uh, lived a pretty healthy, happy life. Uh, But I found a little little, um, lump in my left breast, and it turned out to be, actually be three tumours that I couldn't uh, couldn't feel the other two, but they were in there somewhere. And as it turned out with pathology later, there was DCIS between all of that. So uh, triple positive. I needed a mastectomy um, straight away, <clears throat> which was booked for the June, if I re- remember rightly. But just before the surgery, I got another call. Obviously, ev- everything was done uh, remotely, which was a bit weird. So he didn't have face to face appointments. Um, so it was, that made it a little bit harder, I guess. But they told me, actually, I um, I was her two positive as well. So I would need to delay my surgery and have FEC-T chemo or FECT as I came out and Um, laughingly, half laughingly, told told everyone that I was fat. Then I had um, chastuzumab and six surgeries when I look back and count, um, including having my port in and out, uh, my single mastectomy, I then uh, circled back later on, uh, some two years later, actually, because of COVID, I had to delay and because I had radiotherapy for a uh, second mastectomy and um, a reconstruction at that point. So, yeah, I still had uh, Kedsira as well after my after my first mastectomy. Um, I had to battle a little bit to get that. I was told I only had a tiny bit of residual disease, but um. I like to research things quite a lot. And I found that actually, even in those cases, it's suggested that Katsila will do a good job of mopping up. So as much as I didn't want to go back onto any sort of form of chemo at that point, I did. And um, yeah, so so now I am uh, three and a bit years since diagnosis, but still feel I'm kind of deeply on the journey. My period stopped uh, in August 2020 after my second chemo and I was literally told your your periods might stop was the, the extent of the advice and guidance and care and help I got on on anything that was menopause. So in the early days I thought the menopause symptoms that I was seeing which were pretty much the whole list of everything. So, you know, we've all we've all got got lots of checks on that on that list, I'm sure. But the the main things with me or the main thing. Um, Was huge amounts of brain fog. uh, And I found that I was really, really struggling and really, really worried. And I actually ended up uh, seeing someone on Harley Street thinking that I had early on tech dementia because I was so worried about the extent of it. I didn't work all through that time. Um, Long story short, I went on tamoxifen, came off it for my surgeries, and I haven't gone back on to endocrine treatment yet. I'm still considering what my options are. Given the experiences of, of menopause that I had, I'm quite terrified to, to, go on, to go on that, in all honesty, in case any of those symptoms come back. Uh, so I'm still I'm still seeing my onco every so often. I'm due to see him next week, and I still have a whole list of questions. But I'm very much still on the journey. Um, I did go back to work, finally, and I've just um, taken a permanent position, which I'm delighted about. So... It took its time. It's an ongoing thing. Um, but I'm, I'm still asking lots of questions. I'm still trying to navigate my way through a very siloed system. You know, I, I was I've seen lots and lots of different doctors through the time, through through asking different questions and through being asked to be referred to different places because I found that each silo is, is very much their focus is their thing. And then you're kind of adrift between between the between the, in the system. So yeah, I came to this group, just delighted that somebody had realised, oh my gosh, there are other people that are experiencing this huge menopause post post cancer.
0: Welcome, Helen. Yeah. And you know what, I'm just thinking, wow, you've sort of put your life back on track and congratulations for your new job. That's amazing, isn't it? Working, if someone chooses to work, is a really integral part of moving on and healing as well, if 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 that is what someone wants to do. And then to worry that perhaps your treatment might prevent you from holding down a job again.
5: Yeah. Is, the, uh, terrifying. Yes, it, it was. There was a time when I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to hold my sort of semi-senior job that I'd worked hard for in my career before diagnosis and before before COVID I just thought there's there's no way I'm going to be able to to do that again um and I am doing it now and so far so good (laughs) you know um so there is light at at the end of the tunnel you know I still do have lots of decisions to make and progress to make in my treatment and care but um definitely making great strides yeah
0: I think a lot of this will resonate to people out there thinking what I want to choose, what's the next step in my treatment. Many people might think, I've got an oncologist appointment coming up and we need to decide, am I going to stay on treatment, change treatment? And it's a limbo, isn't it? It's that horrible feeling of I've got to make a decision. I don't know what's right. I don't know what to do. And I wonder whether we think everyone else or has it figured out a little bit more. But actually, when you talk to people, maybe we don't anyway. Joy, brain fog was very much a concern for you
6: as well wasn't it? Yes very much so yeah it's something that I've definitely struggled with since I had my treatment so yeah I was diagnosed um, age 48 in 2021 and I had a mastectomy and then I had another surgery to remove my lymph nodes followed by chemotherapy and now I'm on tamoxifen and Zolidex injections but yeah, I was when I was diagnosed. I was halfway through a teacher training course, and I carried on with that um, after my treatment had finished. I went back to university, but I had a placement to finish. I had a sort of full time, 10 week placement at the end of the course that I had to do as sort of the last thing um, to complete the course. And I, I was worried going into it about my energy levels. What I hadn't realised was as I got tired and my brain fog would become um, more prominent and I really struggled with the brain fog and I actually got, I think it was about four weeks into the placement um, and they said to me, we're worried about your health because you seem really exhausted and your brain fog's really affecting your teaching and we think that you know you should stop the placement, which I did. So now it's just kind of like working out what jobs I can like a bit like Helen you know I'm kind of like wondering what jobs I can do <laughs> now with my energy levels and my brain fog and things so that's kind of where I'm at really in a bit of a limbo with work I guess and trying to work out how to go forward um, mm-hmm.
0: yeah and we'll elaborate a little bit more on that in a moment when we start talking but um, Anya for example is a teacher aren't you Anya and um and Anya gave such lovely advice to you in one of our chats. And I think that's really the, the power of community when you start talking, is to share from common experiences that are more than our diagnosis, is more than our management of our menopause and sort of life experiences. And um, we'll talk a little bit more on that. I think you reacted really naturally, Joy, for the circumstances you were in. You are in a really tough placement and... What really bothers me is that there isn't more help available for women so that we can help them to sustain jobs and hold down work placements and really thrive after our cancer treatment. But
6: um, yeah, I I mean, you're on the right
0: path. Yeah.
6: My team is, I do like um, Anya. I feel really supported by my team, you know, by my medical team. They are really good. Um, And I've since the placement had a a appointment with my oncologist, and I'm sort of thinking about coming off the injections and seeing if that makes a difference so yeah but it is- and it's
0: a process yeah it's it? yeah <laughs> absolutely when did your process start lucy
7: this whole thing it started in december 2020 in the middle of covid um just at the end of december just just before christmas i found a lump in my right breast in the shower and it was just kind of this feeling of oh my god how did I not notice that before? So anyway, I was 36 then went straight to the doctor, went had the two week referral was diagnosed in January with triple positive breast cancer and they could feel it in my lymph nodes. So it was, I was aware from the beginning that it had, had spread to my lymph nodes. As Helen said, with, with the, her two positive breast cancers, they generally, I think generally they um, treat with chemotherapy first. So I had, Four months or five months of chemotherapy, I had the dose dense EC and that was um, not fun, but got through that and then the taxol as well. And then I had lumpectomy, which I honestly thought I, um, because the lump was actually, it was five centimetre lump, so it's quite substantial, but I was reassured that they could remove it all and get clear margins and all that with um, a lumpectomy, which I was when once I knew that that was an option, I was kind of like, actually, do you know what? This is, there's enough going on. I don't, you know, if this is something that they, they you know, they reassured me that it's fine. So I had a lumpectomy and lymph node clearance and then actually had to have a re-excision. So I had two surgeries that was hard and then uh, a month of radiotherapy and then the results of the they, they obviously check the tissue that comes out. And unfortunately there was still some cancer cells left. They had, they had kind of become less, you know, had the chemotherapy had done a really good job, but there was just still some cancer left. And so I also went on CADSILA It's about a year, a year's worth of, um, extra chemo, which wasn't great to take psychologically, but actually it wasn't as anywhere near as, um, hard as the first lot of chemo so I, I was able to go back to work I worked part-time at the time so I kind of got a bit of normality back but it was an it was a good 18 months of active treatment and within that time that I was having the cad I was listening to loads of podcasts um, including your one of course and kind of just trying to see what my options might be And I went to see a menopause specialist at that point to talk about the option of um, testosterone implant, because I'd heard this particular gynecologist talk about it. And um, because I was on Zolidex and Letrozole by that point, I thought that that might be an option. And he said, finish your chemo and then come back. And once I did finish my chemo, I just felt completely done in by everything. And I just didn't want to think about cancer in a way and I I'd had a, a um, couple of scares of scans and stuff and it just all got a bit much so I left it, actually until uh, very recently I've recently gone back to see him and that was all part and joining this group has been all part of that kind of connecting with people who are going through similar things, getting advice, just feeling like I was being really supported on that decision process, even though my team have been really supportive and actually my oncologist is very open-minded. He's, but he's also real, you know, he's realistic. He, he, he kind of just tell me the facts kind of thing, but he's he's been in conversation with the gynecologist and they they've exchanged kind of papers and he's kind of said, although there aren't any, and then enough kind of really solid double you know blunt, you know all these research there is a lot of research and the, the-, the theory of it I am happy to support you if that's something you want to do so I feel like well supported and so that's kind of where I'm at I'm, I haven't started it yet I'm trying to see if I can get it covered with my insurance which might may or may not happen um but I think mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it and see how, how it goes really and, and just keep in the forefront of my mind that I don't have to stay on anything but my 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 core is always to keep doing the treatment that i like i i will keep on the endocrine treatment um i feel protected by that so yeah
0: and it's interesting isn't it um joy was talking about maybe going on a treatment break in collaboration or after she's spoken to her oncologist and you spoke you almost needed a mental break and a disconnection from everything and i think that is so important isn't it we can only do so much at a time sometimes you just need to close your notepad and pen put it all aside and not look at it and not think about it for months and we just need to have that break because it's such a mental load sometimes to trying to figure out what are my options what can I do who can help me it's Mm. like so much on top of life and everything else and so it's good you've sort of done that you've now reconnected
7: yeah, it felt, yeah, exactly. And it feels, yeah. it is something that really does take, well, personally for me, a lot of, I'm, I like researching everything and it, it feels almost like just when you're not in the right place to do that, it feels like a chore, but when you're in the right place to do it, then it's actually really empowering. Um, and I just wasn't in the right place. And I even, you know, stopped listening to your podcast. There was a whole chunk in the middle, which I have, I've, you know, lots of them have actually gone back if I felt that they're relevant to me, but I just couldn't even, yeah, be in that space because of, yeah the the trauma of the the 18 months before so also
0: yeah and I think and I think that's setting clear boundaries and I think we if we're all really connected a little bit more with ourselves it's a very good exercise to do isn't it what is important for me right now what do I let in and what do I not let in and that is Relationships and friendships, and you'll always have that friend that is more draining than others, right? And really, should we say no? No, a little bit more often. And it's the same as unfollowing people on social media and not tuning into a podcast. I think that's having clear boundaries, and they're so helpful. And can I come and circle back to you for a moment? Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Let's talk a little bit about when you said you felt a little bit um, off a cheat, you didn't have chemo but also the feeling you had to come off your HRT and you almost felt bereft. Was was it quite a big journey for you to go on HRT? And was it really helpful for you? Did it have a good, was it beneficial?
1: It was hugely beneficial. So I started HRT back in early 2019 um, because my perimenopausal symptoms were quite severe, um, especially my mental health. It really affected me mentally and the hot flushes were absolutely horrendous um, my quality of life was was pretty bad and within less than a week of going on HRT I felt like myself again it was that quick it was that miraculous it was absolutely wonderful and I had a, a private menopause specialist and I had yearly Um, appointments with her and and each year the hot flushes would come back at a similar time of year in January. It was very strange because my cancer was found in in January as well. Um, And my dosage went up and up and I was ending up on the maximum dose. And then it kind of settled. And I was just living my life quite happily. Thank you very much. And the cancer was found just on a routine uh, mammogram. Um, And then my world changed. And I think... It was that double whammy of of sitting there in front of a consultant and it was a male consultant. And when he realized I was on HRT, they didn't know it was cancer then, they called it a lesion because I hadn't had a biopsy. And he recoiled away from me as though I was unclean because I was on HRT. It was shocking. And he just said, you must come off HRT immediately until we know what this is. And internally, my mind said, I will come off HRT when I know what this is and I I I I was completely and utterly bereft by that thought it was it was just I was shocked by the cancer and shocked by the thought of what this means for my future and when I got home it was actually that evening it was time to change my patches and I was pretty scared and so I decided I would cut down my dosage I wouldn't just suddenly come off because I thought if I just suddenly come off my body's just going to go And react to suddenly not having the benefit of the HRT. Um, So I made an appointment with my menopause specialist, and she did clarify that if it is cancer, then I will have to come off it. But the best thing would be to come off it slowly, which is what I did. Um, And then unfortunately, the biopsy showed that, you know, it wasn't highly um, sensitive to estrogen and progesterone. And so I slowly came off it. And when I met the actual uh, consultant surgeon that was going to do the lumpectomy she had a very different view about HRT and she said yes you know you were right to come off it and I would have I would have encouraged you to come off it but coming off it and weaning yourself off it was the right thing to do because it gave my body a chance to adjust to my levels going down and so it did take a good two to three weeks before some of the symptoms started coming back but I was so terrified of the mental health issues that I had coming back, but fortunately they haven't come back, Mm -hmm. but I am really struggling with hot flushes. I mean, they're absolutely horrendous and they have effects on how I sleep and then the joint pains. And to know that I'm not gonna be able to go back onto it because it was so highly sensitive. My cancer was so highly sensitive to oestrogen It's sad because I've lost that protection for my bones as well, uh, with already having osteopenia. So I've gone from taking no drugs, only HRT, to now having two, three tablets to have to take, and I, I, yeah, I find that really hard.
0: And And I wonder how many people are sitting at home nodding because they've had a similar journey of having perimenopause and then finding relief from HRT and then having that real feeling of. Loss, double, double loss, the loss of what your life was like before cancer and then the loss of um, a treatment that really worked for you. And I think it also comes down to the question of blame. I think often we wonder why did I get cancer? I never thought personally that it was unfair I got cancer. I never had that feeling, but I know many people do. But I did often ask why did I have cancer and when we look at I don't know, the chart of the British Menopause Society, we know that 23 out of a thousand women will get breast cancer anyway. We're one of those. And then maybe HRT and being on the pill has an effect. There's risks, but the benefits, being on the pill, right? HRT, uh, smoking, our lifestyle, um, drinking alcohol, um, being overweight. All of these are risk factors. And Everyone has to dapple with that themselves, isn't it? But I do think it's unhelpful from any medical professional to sort of pinpoint on one thing. Because yeah, I wonder that, whether yeah. at that point they didn't know about whether you had genetic predispositions. They didn't know anything about you and they pinpointed on HRT and that's unhelpful, isn't it? It's well, very unhelpful.
1: Um, and actually, um, when I had had the surgery the lump was smaller than they because I had to have an MRI because um because the type of cancer that I had and it was smaller than it had been found on the MRI in fact it was half the size and the surgeon said she felt that because I'd come off the HRT that it had shrunk the cancer which I hadn't really heard of before because I thought you know that's what chemotherapy does but nobody said that the cancer was caused by the HRT but my HRT was obviously feeding it because it was receptive to the hormones.
0: Rachel you were
1: going to say something. on the, In the sort of
4: opposite to what's happened to Anne when I was diagnosed and I was on HRT my first question was oh my god I'm going to have to come off it and I asked the medical team what do I do do I come off HRT and they were like, mm, not, don't really know. And I find that quite shocking when you're dealing with, um, you know, people that are specialists in that area in the kind of, you know, hormone driven breast cancers. At that point, I did know it's hormone driven, but it took me quite a while to get the right answer about what to do ar- around whether I should come off it, should I come off it slowly, should I, should I stop it immediately? It, it did take quite a while to get that. So I had a very different where you're, you're. Um, doctor was saying immediately come off it mine was oh I don't really know so it, it's it's very very interesting that we're all having different experiences mm, absolutely is nodding and what
0: I love so much about um, you Terry and when I see you nodding in our chats is I think sometimes you have these little light bulb moments of thinking oh my god I remember that and sometimes yeah, we have conversations and then in the <laughs> evening you go into the whatsapp group and you go oh remember this is what's happened to me It's such a long time ago but here yeah. you are
3: yeah I definitely have done that a few times now and I <laughs>
0: it's obviously
3: great. affected my memory as well so yeah
0: Terry we had sort of difficulty in trying to figure out who can help you now so your GP initially didn't really think you had many options you had a hormone-driven breast cancer and we tried to get you referred back to oncology you didn't seem to belong there anymore because you're not an active cancer tri- patient now yeah it's very much a place in limbo isn't it
3: yeah I've had many conversations with the GP it feels um back and forth and um the first one was like oh well this could be perimenopause and I'm like well okay and then a few months later it's another conversation and then another conversation and yeah eventually getting referred to different places and then getting basically kind of fobbed off by them yeah because it it does feel like I'm just being passed from pillar to post in terms of some areas not not in every area but specifically I'd say with oncology because like you say I, I don't really fit into anybody's box anymore I don't come under the breast care nurses I don't come under oncology or oncology nurses and they've said things like they're not really sure that Oh, I can't remember exactly what they what words they used, but it was along the lines of they just don't think that you kind of fit with them. <laughs> I was like, that's really helpful, thanks. What do I do? <laughs> Still don't know.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like our system, especially in the UK, and I don't know, people, now I know we've got lots of people listening from abroad, but in the UK, there isn't sort of, no one's really taken ownership to think who can help women. We know the British Menopause Society says we can have access to a menopause specialist on the NHS and we tried to get you on the waiting list, but we know that's a long time as well, isn't it? So it's how do we how do we make the most out of that time if that time that way is a year, let's say.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully I will make the most out of that time. I do feel like I am starting to make the most out of that time. I think that's just made me think about like the aftercare, just in general of of breast cancer, cancer. I definitely felt like I was sort of being just sort of let go, let free into the wild once my radiotherapy had finished. I literally had that feeling because I was in there every day for three weeks. And then suddenly, rather than see you tomorrow or see you in, in three weeks for, for chemo or whatever, it was just like, yeah, bye. What do I do now? And there's there was no, I felt really lost back then. I felt really scared. And, um, There was no package of aftercare that should have included menopause stuff. There was no, there was nothing. There was no come back and see us if you've, if this happens. I had yearly or six monthly appointments with the oncologist for a while. And, but you go in and you sit there and you say, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I do not I didn't know what to talk about. I was talking about this with my husband the other day and I was like, you know, I just, I didn't know I was really young and I didn't have a clue really I was like everything was just sort of trundling along and I took the advice of my oncologist who I did trust he sadly has passed away since from cancer so I kind of like ended up just with yeah with nothing and now it's like I just don't know where to go there's no obvious route I tried the GP and they don't really know and they've tried to refer me to this and, and now I am on a waiting list to go and see a menopause specialist but like you say how long is that going to take I have no idea no idea
7: mm. great <laughs> I
0: do think many people listening will resonate with a that feeling of when you finish active treatment you feel a bit like lost yeah. you're told it's on with the rest of your life and you think gosh I don't even know what that is anymore what do you mean yeah. how do I do that and then you add the menopause conversation to that. You think, gosh, I feel even more lost. Yeah. Anya, when we talked about Joy and being uh, Joy being on her work
2: placement,
4: you, yes.
0: who are a teacher, what did you think mm-hmm. how Joy's experience
2: would go? What, what did you think from your experience? I felt desperate for Joy. I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't believe she's going through this at this most terrific time because teaching initially wasn't my first career. And I... I did my placement and my PGC when I was about, I think I was about 28. I didn't have children yet, but it was just the busiest time of my life. And, you know, at times I almost had like a mental breakdown because it's so intense, you know, when you do a PGC. So So I couldn't even fathom how you would do that if you were going through a cancer diagnosis as well. So I kind of just wanted to say to Joy, come on, come and have a hug it's okay It's <laughs> just I, I just know what you're going through but at the same time you know not whilst having cancer oh. so
0: so knowing from your experience I would say Joy has done really well hasn't she to oh get goodness. through to that yeah. point so
2: Absolutely. You're dealing with young children who absolutely zap your energy all the time. You know, you're doing essays, assignments, you're doing placements, you're doing meetings, you're talking to your... It's just so, so intense. So to even have to do that, I just couldn't. Yeah. So, but I think it's just natural that you think, oh, I feel like a failure. I can't do this, you know, but of course you can't. You're poorly. You've got so many other things, like, you know, we have children at home we've got to look after, you yeah. know, families, our husbands, every, every, you know, life goes on. And sometimes I think it's okay just to say, you know what, I can't do this at the moment. I just can't do it. I'm, I'm you know, I, I need to look after myself and I need to, yeah, look after my family at the same time as best you can.
6: Yeah, no, it was really, it was so helpful to hear you when you, well, hear you again but uh, you know as well when we talked about it before because it is really easy you know to think oh gosh I've just got a bit of time here. I've just got a bit of brain fog why can't I do this and then just to kind of talk and just hear that it's actually a, a really tough thing anyway and be you know mm. these extra things on top that yeah to try and not to you can reframe it sort of it's kind of helping me to reframe it not as a failure but as you know it was good that I had to go and no, absolutely. And I,
2: you know, and once you're even through the training, you know, it just, it takes a lot, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a hard job as well. It, it really takes a lot of your energy, your emotional energy, your physical energy,
6: everything. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm sort of thinking, mulling things over, I guess, is where I am, you know, what I do sort of going forward. But yeah.
0: There is a lot of personal reflection, I think, from many women in our community. Often women really struggle, say, on tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors or after a surgical onset menopause. And if their life starts to change, they feel it's a reflection on them that they're not doing enough, they're not working enough, they haven't, they're too weak. That's why they're having such a terrible time. But actually, these are really strong medications, these are really big circumstances, physical changes. We are responding naturally to what is going on, but because no one's really spoken about it, we feel it's just us. And perhaps we're not as strong as our the people next to us. But I really hope that anyone sitting at home thinking, well, I couldn't hold down my job or I feel like I haven't had the energy to sustain my career the way I've done before, that by just sharing what's going on with you and Helen as well. Um, that people will notice that that they're not alone. The more we can talk about those things. And so it's brave. Thank you, Joy, for sort of sharing that. Sometimes it's easier to share once we've found solutions, right? It's much harder to share from a place when we're still going through it. It's all very well up, you know, in a few years' time to go, I've gone through a lot of shit, (laughs) but look at me, I've come out the (laughs) other end. But it's much harder to say, I'm in it, and I don't know what's next, but here I am. So thank you so much, Joy. Something a little bit more controversial, Helen. At one point in your post-cancer diagnosis, you thought maybe HRT would be an option for you. And you wanted to explore that. What led you to how... And you, I know you said you love your research and you love um, sort of reading up on things. That's just how you are. What What was your thought process there of even researching that?
5: Well... I guess the the wonderful movement that is the menopause discussion that's that's now happening in the wider media is is incredible and you know some some well-meaning friends had sent me links to uh, Davina McCall's documentaries and um, various books and pretty much everything I read and everything I saw while it was wonderful that 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 discussion was happening and and becoming recognised and there was you know, more awareness, pretty much every road led to HRT, um, as far as I could tell. My my cancer was seven out of eight in terms of its hormone positivity, if you can put it like that. Um, so I always knew, as far as my oncologist had, had said, as far as my GP had said, uh, I saw uh, two different gynies. I saw uh, two different GPs, I saw two private menopause specialists and I'm also now on a waiting list for uh, to see someone at the imperial imperial college menopause clinic Um, but that's looking like about a year's wait um, which I'm about eight or nine months through but all of those discussions were uh, really quite black and white people were either on the bus that you cannot have it the nice guidelines say you you must not or uh, if you talk to Avram Bluming, who read uh, wrote an amazing book called Estrogen Matters, um, that actually pulls together the research and presents it in a quite unbiased way about whether estrogen is actually a feeder of cancer or not, people are very very black and white on it. And when you're sat in the middle, thinking, "Well, I I actually feel like I need it," you know, I I went to my GP and said. I need help on the menopause. And he said, well, I don't actually know what you're asking me for. So I, I don't know either. <laughs> I'm not the expert. You tell me. And he said, well, in all honesty, if it's not HRT, then there's nothing else that we can do for you. And that was kind of, it said in a very caring way, but it was a dead end. So um, yeah, so I I, I eventually did see a number of different people and came to the conclusion that I would, rather give it a go rather than kind of continue to live in the broken state that I felt I was. So I did go on HRT um, for good six months. Um, I won't say actually it gave me like Anne, it didn't give me that immediate feeling of having my old self back. I went from a very, very low dose up to right up to the maximum dose. I tried patches, I tried different patches, uh, I tried gels, and I also had testosterone all the way through as well in the pink packet that comes from Australia, and it helped. Uh, But I then went on a wonderful retreat that someone called Joe Taylor runs, and we walked and we talked, and Lucy came too. And um, lots of those ladies were uh, dealing with metastases and were not going to get better, and that scared me, so I came off HRT. I won't say I've closed that book. I'm still wondering whether it's something... I might do again. But also, I, you know, it's part of a much bigger picture. Um, but it's it's scary being on it. But it's also very scary being off it. Because, like you said earlier, Danny, nobody talks when you're in the medical seat. Nobody talks about balancing risks. And yes, there's an increased risk by taking a, taking HRT possibly according to a lot of people uh, according to other people not so much but let's assume there is a bigger risk but there's also a huge risk by being overweight uh, by not exercising by drinking a couple of glasses of wine a night and nobody talks about those so my view was in talking to my oncologist who's very open who's very patient centric my view was saying well if i'm i don't drink I very rarely drink. With one, with one friend who convinces me and has nice champagne. So hey, um, I, I I watch my weight as much as I can. Uh, I I pretty good on exercise. Need to be a bit better when I've got more energy. But anyway, you know I I do all those things to reduce my risk. If they then balance my HRT risk sufficiently, and HRT gives me back my quality of life and my bone strength and my heart health and my my brain health and and my confidence and my energy then maybe that's all okay um so it's it's an ongoing thing in my head and it probably will be for life i imagine
7: <laughs> i remember helen when you were making the decision to whether to come off it or not it was it was because you were kind of questioning how much it was really helping you like you said it wasn't like a light bulb like oh everything kind of so i think that's what's so good about the way that you make decisions is it's just um it was, I, I can remember, it wasn't just, I, I can remember having conversations with you about it. And it wasn't, it, it was obviously because you were worried about the chances of recurrence. And that was probably, that's probably what you remember. But you were really measured when you were making those decisions, I think. And um, as you say, you can always change your mind in all of these things.
5: Absolutely. No, thanks, Lucy. And I think something Anya said earlier was, I can't do this now at the in this moment and and it's the same with that you know I I I, there are decisions you make that you might change completely or tweak or you know new research will come out or new new drugs will come out and we it's so easy to sit and feel like you are where you are and that's 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 it now and it's very much a, a process and a journey and a learning a learning journey that you go on and obviously doing things like this help because it just you know a lot of the things may or may not be new that are raised to you you may have heard of them before but it just prompts you to go back and think oh yeah I really do need to go and read up on that or ask more questions or put that on my poor long-suffering oncologist list um, of things to discuss and and things do change over time. And
0: sometimes we just need to mull things over with other people don't we because in our last chat and many of you or three of you had their oncologist appointment in the same sort of week after the conversation. And it really helped make that informed conversation with your oncologist just by mulling things over, just by hearing someone else, just by sharing stories and experiences. But I can't help but wonder, Helen, if when you went and asked for help, of what can you do about the symptoms of the menopause with your history of cancer, if the answer hadn't been well, unless you want HRT, I'm really sorry, I can't give you anything. If the answer had been, right, let me tell you, you can't have HRT, but... (laughs) And if there was someone who thought, wow, let me tell you, and we will include exercise and we will include diet and we can include some prescribable non-hormonal alternatives, maybe like antidepressants or some other drugs for bladder issues or hot sweats, or we can try herbal medication or... If someone said, well, there are many things we could at least give it a go, whether your feeling would have been different. And I wonder whether that is the true for many people out there. We often think because HRT isn't an option, we don't have options. I and just that's want to unjust, say, isn't that, it?
3: That's really resonated with me as well, because that's literally the conversation I want to have. I'm not going out there saying, I want HRT. I'm going out there just saying, I want a conversation with someone who will sit and talk to me, who knows what they're talking about for me and my situation. And that that's, that's yeah, that you just, what you just said was really... I think sometimes you
2: just want to be heard, don't you? Absolutely. You just want something to, someone to listen and I think... And not it, fob you off. Yeah, exactly, and I think doctors do get confused when you turn up and say, help me, because they're like, well, of course we can't help you, <laughs> you know, you, you can't have HRT. Or at least yeah. we're not going to recommend it. And I, you know, I, I did pay to go and see someone privately. And I just, I think I said to you in one of our meetings, I just left feeling, I think I cried in the car. She, she just sort of looked at me as if to say, I don't really know why you're here. You know, and I didn't want, I didn't come for HRT because I knew I wasn't going to get it. I don't want HRT either. I just wanted other options. And her options were, I can increase your citalopram you know why don't you go up to 40 milligrams
6: <laughs> yeah i yeah i think i came with hope
2: but left feeling really deflated and I, so i think sometimes all we want is just to be heard and just in a gentle way being told about the options yeah.
1: they may not yeah, worry, just feel
2: supported it's as well
1: answered. yes you know just um, feel yeah seen heard and then yeah. supported and, and understood then supported. yeah you're absolutely yeah. right because we know we know we're not
2: going to get HRT or unless you really obviously push for it we know that don't keep telling us that you know I think in this day and age tell me about something else you know let's let's try this supplement if it doesn't work you know even if it mentally makes you feel better that you're taking something you know why is that so wrong
0: (laughs) yeah and and I think more and more people now seek the help of private medical specialists and it's actually quite infuriating to me because There are lots of private medical specialists that are really brilliant at helping women in perimenopause and menopause naturally, but they have no experience with helping people who have a history of cancer. And so you go and pay £275 for an appointment and you sit opposite someone who has never worked worked in a big NHS clinic, who's never had the really difficult cases, they might be brilliant at what they do with perimenopause women, but actually it's a bit of a waste of money for someone with now a history of cancer and And it's it's a bit like you say, it's giving someone options, isn't it, and someone to help you work mm. through those options, because the options are there, but it also be, it also depends on what you believe in. You know, someone might not believe a menopause specialist that usually is very good at prescribing HRT. They might not believe in this holistic life that we're trying to put together for ourselves, because I truly believe all of those little things we can do can compound and make a big difference. To our overall well-being and our feeling, and to how empowered we feel. Because I feel empowered doesn't mean symptom-free. Empowered can be that you think, well, oh, I've got a little plan, and that's empowering. Who knows? It might come with symptom relief and benefits, but at least I know I've got a little plan for the next few months.
1: Yeah, because also I kind of feel that what's what people can tend to forget, especially, you know, the doctors, is that, having these awful symptoms, especially on the endocrine treatment, you're constantly reminded you've had cancer, you've had cancer, mm-hmm. you've had cancer. This is why you're having to feel it, because you've had cancer. It's not just the menopausal symptoms. It's also living with that trauma of the cancer that you've had and that you will have to hold for the rest of your life. And, yes, as time goes by, as you get better, as you stop the endocrine treatment, and and maybe some of those symptoms you know, will get better, then it, it does get a little bit easier. But yes, being in the middle of it, being at the start of it and just being told, well, that's your lot. You're going to just have to live with what you've got. You're alive. feels and like a
2: life sentence, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. You know, and I think also, you know,
2: have a little bit of respect. You know, think of what, what we've just all been through. I mean, it's absolutely, listen to all of our stories. It's, it's yeah. traumatic. Yeah. And you come to the end of it and you sort of think, oh, no, life begins now. Well. <laughs> Not so much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a change. And I wonder how we are part of educating the next 10, 20 years of what's happening, really. Because if you think, no one spoke about menopause in general five years ago, right? It took celebrities and social media doctors to sort of educate. The mm. British Menopause Society has been going for a long time, but no one talked about the menopause. It took sort of social media and some big names to talk about it. And we're sort of a little bit of an afterthought of the bigger conversation, isn't it? Because you know, we've been left out of that bigger conversation. Like Helen, you said, everyone, everything led to HRT. Well, that's just part of the conversation. That's not the whole conversation. But the other parts weren't sort of as widely included. And we weren't as widely included. But now we are. And I wonder whether five years ago, women didn't even know how to articulate that the endocrine treatment would give them all these terrible menopausal symptoms. So no one spoke about it. Mm. So it is now up to us to say at every single appointment how much it is affecting us, how much it has an impact in our daily lives so that our doctors really know what the medications they're prescribing to us are doing to us. So that soon maybe research and other things and strategies and programs can help us live a better quality of life because what we want is to stay on those treatments right that's the aim the aim of the game is to stay on the treatments that are having a hopeful impact a positive impact on our outcomes someone sent a lovely goodbye message to our listeners at home I feel like I feel like I'm so with you and our little group now I've forgotten that we're actually recording a podcast
3: I, I think we all you did
0: listening <laughs> to us I know this is so lovely when I see you on our sort of weekly calls. I do love when I remove myself I think it's so great that you're here as a group and that you're sort of listening to each other and helping each other along because I think so much positivity can come out of a really difficult like you said and yeah, such a traumatic situation and yet we would have never met had it not been our histories and how wonderful that all these amazing women get together every few weeks our paths join and what a gift as well isn't it what a blessing amongst the whole thing
2: and it makes you feel like you're belonging to something doesn't it and I think that community is just really important when you've gone through something like this because I mean people aren't supposed to understand people on the outside you know they it's just it's just great to talk to somebody who does (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I th- I think, you know, how could anybody who hasn't been through this mm-hmm. possibly know what you're going through? It's not mm-hmm. fair to put that on them. And you do need to find a community of, of yes. like minds and like experiences. And I, I, I love because there is so much you can research out there for yourself, but it's trusting that research. And I love being pointed in the right direction or have you tried, you know, helpline for the Osteoporosis Society you know Danny I didn't even think about that that I could actually phone somebody up and talk to somebody on a a helpline which was mentioned in our last our last meeting and I love that about this group so that other people's experiences can point you in a direction you never even thought you could go down and I think that's that's really supportive and I I feel really supported by that absolutely
0: Mm. it's lovely are we all ready to get on with our Saturday mornings?
1: <laughs> no,
0: we want to just stay here.
6: <laughs> In our own little bubble, In our
0: own little bubble of safety and chat, which is lovely. Thank you so much, all of you, amazing women, for sharing our vastly different experiences. That always blows my mind. How we can have such different experiences, different outlooks, different things we want to try and how we can have all of those conversations in a non-judgmental way. It's amazing, isn't it? Because it just shows it is possible that we can all be different, all wanting different things, all having tried different things and have the utmost respect for one another. And I love that so much about all of you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me
7: Danny. today. Thank, thank you, Dani. Thank, thank, thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> See you soon.
0: Oh, aren't they amazing. So many different stories, so many different experiences. And we've only really scratched the surface of all the things we usually talk about in our Zoom sessions. And yeah, just absolutely loving getting to know so many of you listeners at home. And I can't wait to meet some of you perhaps in our next group program in September. So if you're interested, you can always email me to ask if this is right for you, email danny at healthyholeme.com. I'm going to link the program into the show notes because for the bright person, this can be truly, truly transformational. I am excited about next week's podcast episode as well. I'm going to release the podcast episode where I just opened the Zoom room and I was just sat there waiting for any of the women in my community to join me. And I was so nervous because I had no idea who was going to turn up. I was thinking, oh my gosh, it could be some crazy people or they might have some really radical opinions and I might not know what to say, but I'm going to release that episode next week for you. So I can't wait. It's going to be really fun, I think, for you to think, my gosh, it's just open a Zoom room and who of our community of listeners Zoomed in. And yeah, lastly, remember, if you want to come to the event on the 25th of September, again, the links are in the show notes. I'm going to love you and leave you. This was a longer episode than usual, but I could have gone on and on and on talking to these amazing women. And I really do hope that at one point in the future, I get to meet you too, because I think that's what makes our community so special is those real and in-person connections. Wishing you a good week and chat next week.